It was a lovely, busy workday afternoon in Manhattan, and Dina Kaplan, top executive and face of the New York startup scene, was getting ready to cross the street. So it would be maybe an 18-second walk, and I remember leaning against the utility pole, praying that the light would not turn green because I didn't think I could make it to the other side without having a panic attack. And I remember in that moment telling myself, I have to get out of here. I just have to get out of here. I need to live the exact opposite life in the exact opposite way, and I need to take action immediately. And Dina took action immediately. This set her life on a journey, the trip that changed everything. Hi, I'm Jonathan Gruber, and this is The Journey. The Journey is an original podcast from KLM Royal Dutch Airlines, where we meet extraordinary people whose lives are transformed by travel. Dina Kaplan's story begins in the early 2000s, New York City. Back then, Dina was the COO, a top executive in a company she co-founded, an internet startup called Blip TV. Blip TV had made Dina the it girl of New York startup scene. I got to do some really cool things. I got to spend a lot of time with Warren Buffett because I got named one of Fortune's most powerful entrepreneurs, most powerful women entrepreneurs. So there's only 10 a year that are named. I mean, I just met everyone because I also started hosting these events called Founders Club. Uh, I wanted to bring together the New York community to try to take on Silicon Valley a bit because there was no community and no network in New York. So she launched Founders Club. It's easy to see how Dina could be the center of a scene. To look at her now, more than a decade later, she's super fit, impeccably dressed, and I'm looking for the right word here, engaged in a way that is both flirty and forceful. Dina and her club attracted a who's who of New York types. Jimmy Fallon would come, uh, a bunch of other celebrities. We had the mayor uh, co-hosted one with us. Rupert Murdoch came. So it became a big thing. And for a number of years, Dina was herself a big thing. You just heard her say that Fortune magazine called her one of the, and this is a quote from the magazine, most powerful women entrepreneurs, as well as Fast Company's most influential woman of Web 2.0. I could read you a whole list of accolades and magazine covers and articles written about her, but I think you get the point. Dina got to this position through grit, ability, and determination. So you'd think she would probably be feeling pretty good about herself, right? Right? So from the outside, you were the very definition of the young female internet entrepreneur. It's fair to say 100% I was held up as a role model for founders and especially for women founders. And yet, how did you really feel? In the middle of all I this. mean, the irony of this is that I was completely playing a role myself, 100%. What do you mean? It was all an act. Because on the inside, I was a mess 
It was an absolute disaster. An absolute disaster. A few things were going on. First of all, Dina wasn't just a workaholic. She had a very acute case of imposter syndrome. The idea that your success is all a big mistake and at any moment everyone will realize it's a mistake and you'll be publicly humiliated. I think I wondered if I deserve to be there. So I had a lot of people looking at me and I just wondered, are they thinking that I don't deserve to be where I am? And so let me overcompensate for that by just working non-friggin' stop. So one of the big venture capitalists that had put a significant amount of money in the company uh, knocked on my office door one day and said, hey, how's it going? And he said, well, I wanted to talk to you. Uh, of course, everyone in the company thinks you're doing an amazing job. Your your work, your quality is above rebuke. But I am worried about somebody meeting you at a conference and thinking that just based on your appearance that you don't look like what a COO of a company of this size and stature should look like. So what I would like from now on is for you to drop your COO title Keep doing your job exactly as you've done it before, but just never use that title again. I wanted to punch him. I wanted to scream. I wanted to slam either his head or mine uh, into the wall. I was so angry. I hung my hat on that title. What did you do? I just looked up at him and I said, okay, Why? Why did you just say okay? Because I didn't want to cause any problems. It was that old pleasing instinct. Just wanted everyone to like me. Just wanted to be pleasing. And the company couldn't have existed without me at that time because I was holding all the operations together. And yet I was still so worried about getting fired. My name's Patrick McKenna. Um, had the good fortune of traveling all over the world and meeting, meeting people from so many different backgrounds and have traveled extensively with Dina, actually. Patrick McKenna is an entrepreneur himself. I Skyped him at his home in California and asked him how he remembers Dina from this period. He says she was... Quite a mess. She was very, very distracted, running a million miles an hour, trying to manage every relationship inside and out, trying to have total control of everything around her. I would go to New York and visit her in New York. And she was very famous for having 10 things to do a night. There's an art event that starts at 6, and then we're going to go to this founder talk at 6.45. We're going to stop by and say hi to some people at the Soho House for a few minutes. And before you knew it, it was midnight, and we have gone to six places and said hi to 30 people. But that was a normal Tuesday night. It's almost a sense of not being good at saying no. And, and why do you think she wouldn't say no? This is how you build your kind of your ego, your credibility, your sense of self is by going to all these different places. You're wanted, you're needed, particularly in a place like New York where you had to have this never ending loop of network, right? People go to this, go to this, go to this, go to this, and they go to a million things and, and you want to stay in that that cycle of external affirmation. And Dina's problems were getting worse, much worse. 
I lost control of my personal life. I mean, even to the point that I pushed away my best friend and my family. And all I could think about was that 10 to $20 million that every founder wants to have to never work again. I was having panic attacks and I wasn't telling anyone. I didn't tell my best friend. I didn't tell my co-founder, my doctor, my parents. I just really didn't even admit it to myself. But at the height of one, I don't know if you've ever had one, but you feel faint. You feel like you're about to pass out and it's like tingles are shooting through your entire body and you're about 70% convinced that you're going to fall on the floor within the next 10 to 20 seconds. It's terrifying. And I was having them constantly. It makes you wonder, how did we get here? How did this super capable, super smart woman end up such a mess? Dina grew up in a pretty well-to-do family, mostly in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it was mostly a happy childhood. But if you ask her about her worst moment growing up, the event that really shaped her in many different ways, she'd tell you about her time at a fancy rich kid summer camp. You know that one kid who, for whatever reason, just can't fit in and ends up the butt of everyone's jokes? Well, that was Dina. I was the absolute reject of the entire camp. I mean, the kids would steal my clothes when I was showering, uh, and the shower tent was a, a real walk from where our bunk was, and so they wanted to make me walk naked, which when you're, you know, eight, nine, ten years old is devastating for a young girl. They were threatening to beat me up. And there was one crushing blow. My one friend this summer was my little stuffed Snoopy doll, who I absolutely loved, and he had that cute, big Snoopy nose. So I went on a camping trip uh, for a couple nights, hoping that people would be nice to me because we all wanted to survive the camping on the mountain. So I escaped, and when I came back, Snoopy was hanging from the rafters in a noose. And it was so sad. Dina told her parents what was going on, but her dad, a tough guy from the South Bronx, was no real help. So Dina decided to help herself. And at the end of that summer, I remember telling myself that I made a vow to myself that I would never be the reject again, that I would hone my social skills so finely that I would be popular for the rest of my life. So I watched the popular kids. You could see that there were kids that other kids wanted to be around. And I watched how they would act. I would watch their facial expressions, how much they spoke, what they would say, whether they would use colloquialisms and expressions or speak plainly. And I watched their behavior and their gestures, and I, I imitated that. And then I just trained myself on a very deep level to never say what I was actually thinking, but actually just to try to be pleasing to everyone around me. It just honed in me this instinct to say whatever I thought the person around me wanted to hear rather than what was actually on my mind. And it worked. <laughs> 
Dina became popular and successful. In college, she even took time to work for Bill Clinton's presidential campaign, which led to a stint working at the Clinton White House as her first job after college. My fellow Americans. I mean, it was just the coolest thing in the world, right? At the time, I mean, it was these young, fresh guys, right? Al Gore, Bill Clinton. It was such a young, vibrant presidency. We took over D.C. We took over the restaurants and the clubs and the this and that. And so to be in that kind of inner circle of that felt like an incredible privilege. Dina says the White House was great, but the dream job came at MTV. She worked the Rock the Vote campaign that inspired young people to get involved in politics. Dina covered the presidential campaign, traveled throughout the U.S., and met many rock stars. She was on fire and hung out with the coolest people in the country. After MTV came an on-air gig as a TV reporter. Dina Kaplan is live on the West Side with the very latest. Good morning, Dina. All right, Dina Kaplan reporting live tonight. Dina Kaplan for Weekend Today. And then came the call from an old boyfriend who had an idea for a startup. She signed on, and together they created Blip TV. If you're a gamer, you're probably familiar with Blip TV's content. They host shows made just for the internet, distribute it, run the ads, and split the profits with the show's producers. This was cutting-edge stuff at the time. Blip TV's success brought Dina a ton of public recognition and a deep private hell. I can't walk down a street because I might have a panic attack uh, crossing an intersection. And my fear was that a cab would roll over my body and I wouldn't even look good for the funeral. So I did my hair great every day. I did my makeup perfectly. I wore designer clothes and great shoes every single day. And I couldn't walk. So I just took cabs literally everywhere I went if I were ever by myself everywhere for two years. What was the absolute low point? I mean, the low point I remember so clearly. I mean, it's such an image in my mind. Somehow, I don't remember why, got dropped off across the street from my office rather than at my office. So it would be maybe an 18-second walk. And I remember leaning against a utility pole, praying that the light would not turn green because I didn't think I could make it to the other side without having a panic attack. And I remember in that moment telling myself, I have to get out of here. I just have to get out of here. I need to live the exact opposite life in the exact opposite way, and I need to take action immediately. So Dina Kaplan, acknowledged entrepreneur, face of the New York startup scene, and center of a founder's movement, simply up and quit. She didn't just quit her job. She quit New York. So one day I just had to book a flight to Bali and fly six days later. Did you know what you were looking for? I had no idea. I knew I wanted to be able to walk again. (laughs) I wanted to be able to cross the street. I didn't know anything else. So it's a little nuts. You can't cross the street 
but you can book a flight to Bali. I know. And in fact, I do remember I'm hanging on the side of buildings thinking like, what am I doing? Like now I'm in a place where I'm less supported. My community is not here like in New York. But I just knew to get healthy, I just needed to live the opposite life. Her opposite life on the road wasn't all that different from her life back in New York. Networking, fretting, and planning things down to the minute. I'm talking to people constantly, everywhere I am. In Sri Lanka, I'm asking people where they'd come from in two, in Cambodia, Bhutan, Myanmar. And you end up with this massive list. You know, the former COO in me kept everything on Evernote, country by country. And I just had this endless list of places to go. It was a frantic flurry of a world sampler that was so full of the kind of networking and speed that was so very Dina. Still, it was time away from the pressures of her life in New York. After three and a half months at her hotel's rooftop pool in Koh Samui, Thailand, she became aware that just maybe something very small had changed. It was warm and it was beautiful, of course, because it's Thailand. And I didn't think much of it, so I took off my bathing suit cover-up, and I had my bathing suit on, and I'm going swimming. And I'm swimming at sunset, and all of a sudden, I'm going to get emotional telling you this story. I'm crying because I I feel safe. I feel safe not only walking, but I feel safe swimming in a pool by myself. And I was so proud of myself that I'd over I'd overcome that fear of of walking at that point so strongly that I felt comfortable swimming alone at sunset this small success encouraged Dina to face her fears head on well one of the biggest fears that I had for my whole life was scuba diving As a teenager with my parents, I'd gone on a scuba diving trip in the Bahamas, and a man that we knew we'd flown over with died on my very first scuba dive ever. It was horrifying. It was horrific. So I went to the place that I'd heard was the best, Scuba Junction, and I said, Hi, my name is Dina. Someone died on my first scuba diving trip ever, and I have panic attacks and I have trouble breathing above ground, but I'd like to go for a dive tomorrow. And they just looked at me and said, can you pay? And I said, yeah, I can pay. So I went back. I was very lucky because I got A, a very good-looking instructor, and B, no one else signed up. So I asked my good-looking instructor if he could hold my hand as we went under the water, and he said yes. And when we came up, I had changed. came up a different person. I had conquered one of the biggest fears in my life. This was one of the steps of the trip that helped me gain my confidence to live my life as a normal human being. Patrick, who you heard from earlier, had used meditation as a way to conquer his own fears and anxieties. He'd been advising Dina to try it all along. He and Dina met on her travels in Myanmar, and frankly... Dina may say she was getting better, but Patrick, he was less convinced. Okay. This was intense. So we were in Myanmar, 
we were standing on the side of a road and we need to cross the road. It's like a five lanes, one of these big roads, and there's a crosswalk. The cars aren't coming, and I say, let's go, Dina, let's let's run across the street. Like, it's a clear opening. And she starts to take two steps and completely freezes. She's just locked in. She can't move. She's completely paralyzed. And I run across the street. I'm like, where are you? She's like stuck. Then obviously I run back over and I kind of grab her and step back onto the sidewalk. And she's like trembling, trembling. And this is where we really started to talk about some of her fear. Like this is the very specific fear that she had. She had these anxiety attacks that she was really good at hiding. But in this case, I was right there with her. It's just maybe it's more of a metaphor for bigger things, but she just at this moment couldn't literally cross the street. This is when we really started talking about going inside and dealing with your fear. My recommendation was to find a teacher, to find a Papasan retreat, to really give a serious effort to training in mindfulness meditation. Vipassana is a silent form of meditation, often practiced in a retreat for 10 days or more. Dina booked a flight to India the next day, with no plans whatsoever. I land in India and I'm terrified that people get sick and then there's crowded and it's hot and I'm a woman traveling alone. So I land and there's this cute guy walking off the plane just behind me and he says so what are your plans for India and I just looked at him and said I have no plans and I'm scared to be here and he said oh I'm going on a 10-day silent retreat you want to come and so as serendipity happens Patrick's voice, which was now less than 24 hours old in my mind, saying what he had told me the day before, came to me. And I just looked at this guy and I said, yes, I'm in. And he said, what? No, I mean, I'm really going. And I said, no, I, I'm in. I'll go with you. And I go and it changed my life. So I walk in and we have to take vows. No lying, no killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct, even with yourself. You have to sign your name to. All right, whatever. It's 10 days. That's fine. Little do I know that there is no soap and no toilet paper and it's going to be 120 degrees the entire time. No air conditioning, hotter inside than outside. It was India to the most extreme degree that you could possibly imagine. The conditions were insane. And then what happened? And beginning on day four, it was like I saw this light at the end of a tunnel, which was peacefulness. The first three days, you just want to kill somebody or yourself. I mean, it's really, really hard. The voices in your head are so loud and you can't escape yourself. There was no one to be charming to. There was no one to work it with. There was no one to distract myself from myself with. Beginning on day four, your mind is like glass. There's absolutely no thoughts. You could look up at a tree and look at that tree for three hours perfectly happy because there's nothing in your head telling you that you should be doing anything differently at that moment. Beginning on day five, you start doing open heart surgery on your brain, essentially your personality. 
And what I saw was this memory, like the poncee from Harry Potter, like that Dumbledore has. It was this memory of me as a little kid at summer camp vowing to be popular for the rest of my life. And I realized for the first time as an adult in my whole life that I'd optimized my entire life to just try to be pleasing to everyone at the cost of ever being authentic or saying what was on my mind. And in that moment, I decided that that piece of the jigsaw puzzle of my personality was no longer serving me. And I decided to literally take it out and put in this new piece that was authenticity. And at the moment that that happened, it was like this flash of lightning shot up my foot, exploded through my legs, went through my torso, and then just had this firework explosion above my head. And this voice came to me that said, you're going to come out of this retreat a better person. And everyone should have the chance to experience this, but it doesn't need to be this hard. So when you come out of this retreat, you'll start a company to bring meditation to the mainstream. You'll make it beautiful and light. (laughs) There'll be soap and toilet paper. And you'll call it, you'll call it the path. Dina's 10 days of silence really did change everything. She felt free to break her fixed patterns of fear. She no longer felt like an imposter. And most importantly, she felt like if she could do it, others could do it too. She kept on traveling and then finally booked one final flight back to New York. You guys ready for a little moment before all of the input that we'll have for the rest of the day? Let's meditate. And this Uh, is Dina in 2016. She actually created a center for meditation called The Path in New York. There is soap and toilet paper. And while everyone is welcome, The Path's website shows a group of 30-something sitting lotus position in suits and business attire. This is Dina leading a group meditation at a tech conference. At The Path, we say that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of types of meditation in the world. We break them down into four categories, and we teach all four. Mindfulness, mantra, energizing, and then meditation to help you accomplish a goal. Patrick says that while most people say they were transformed by a 10-day mindfulness retreat, Dina actually became a very different person. When she said, I am going to create something around this experience, this wasn't about pleasing anybody. And that's a big fundamental change. The need for external validation on what she was going to do in any given day or week or night had dissipated significantly. Well, when you would go to visit her in New York, for example, and you guys would go for a night out, how was that different from your previous visits? (laughs) So different. Um, I was coming to New York and she says, I'm going to organize a dinner for you. Bring a bunch of great people around the table and we're going to have a dinner. And we went to a place in the West Village, beautiful little boutique restaurant that doesn't have a bunch of cachet, had a table for eight, and we had a two and a half hour dinner. And every single person at the table was engaged and talking, and we had a depth of conversation. This is literally the first time after I visited her after she came back from this trip. This was how we kind of inaugurated our reconnection. So that's creating a very different container for friendship. Dina can now cross the street unencumbered by anxiety. But if you look at Dina, 
Even now, she's not exactly like a Buddhist monk full of calm gravitas. She's still a bundle of energy, ambition, and you've probably noticed her tendency to use 20 words when 10 will do. So I asked her, Dina, after all you've gone through to get where you are, are you happy? Hmm. I do feel fulfilled. I know my next mission. You're right, I am ambitious. I'm ambitious, and I know that I need to write a book, so that's the next step. Are you happy? I am happy. I think literally my skin looks better because I meditate. I have a, I get my validation much more from within. So I'm aware of my triggers now. I still have this thing where I hate to be rejected. It takes me back to that little kid in summer camp. But we all have moments where things happen, and now my recovery time is less than half an hour. So maybe I'll get upset. We all have things that we'll get upset about, but I have a huge resilience. So, yes. I think she's never been happier. I think she's truly, truly satisfied. I think that she's feeling equanimous. I think that she is feeling satisfied and that she feels like she's doing the right things. And so my bottom line answer is, Yeah, I I think she's happy. The trip was the best thing I've ever done. It was the most non-obvious thing this super ambitious girl has ever done, but it changed me. A friend of mine said, you take the fish out of the water, you learn a lot about the fish. I learned so much about myself uh, by putting myself in all sorts of difficult and uncomfortable situations And it is by far the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. Dina Kaplan. If you want to know more about Dina or The Path, check out our website, podcast.klm.com. You've been listening to The Journey, an original podcast brought to you by KLM Royal Dutch Airlines. To hear more stories about the trip that changed everything, go to podcast.klm.com. And why not review us on Apple Podcasts? It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jonathan Gruber.